Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. In the previous episode, Penn goes hunting for killer drones and is shot at by quadcopters as he hides in an abandoned building. Listen to the end of this episode to find out what happens to Penn. Kay sits on the seat of a robot that resembles a power chair as it wheels him down a long hall. His cuffed wrists are held in front of him by the robot's arm. He looks ahead but he isn't paying attention to what he's seeing. His short breaths aren't enough but he can't take a full breath. He looks older than his age, 28, with bags under his eyes and sweaty skin. On his face and arms, discoloration from cuts and bruises from a month ago still shows. Rapid weight gain took away his lean mean look. The robot takes him to a door that opens, and the chair wheels him inside. An examination chair dominates the room. Its six arms are capable of a range of procedures from taking blood to stitching wounds. The door closes and Kay jerks in the chair when he sees a middle-aged black man with a snub nose and receding chin, sitting on an office chair in the corner. The man says, I didn't mean to startle you. Kay trembles as he says, I thought I had a checkup. I wasn't expecting to see a person. The man's eyes move back and forth as he looks over Kay's medical record through his AR glasses. He says, You're still experiencing chest pains and headaches? Kay says, yes. The man says, insomnia? Kay says, you can't sleep in the auditorium, even if you don't have watched that night. It's just impossible. The man says, you're pretty stressed out these days, aren't you? Kay says, you won't believe it. My people, we stand in a circle facing outward all day long. Three of us take turns on wake watch each night. They put us right in the middle of all the others. The man says, I know all about the auditorium. Kay says, no offense, I see you're black, but half of the auditorium is black and we have to walk through them to get to the showers and toilets. We got Puerto Ricans on our left and Mexicans on our right. The man says, you belong to the Tucker group? Kay says, yes. The man says, if that little girl hadn't died, you probably wouldn't be in prison right now. Kay says, she wasn't a girl. The man says, Well, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm just saying fate dealt you a blow. So, yeah, you don't have to convince me that you're stressed out. You're having a lot of brain loss. Your brain shrunk considerably since they put you in the auditorium. And a lot of your organs are being pushed to their limits. You're going to start breaking down. Your immune system isn't working. Kay says, I get one cold right after the next and the flu. The man says, and you said you have problems with your vision? Kay says, I get these blind spots and my vision goes out of focus. The man says, well, I got a call from a femme from NASA who says that she's starting a volunteer program and she chose you specifically. Not just you, she's looking for hundreds of volunteers, but you're the only one from this prison that she contacted me about. Kay looks confused. He says, 
Who's this? The man says. Have you ever heard of medical research volunteers? Kay says. No. The man tries not to roll his eyes. He says. NASA wants to test medicines on people. The medicines are made for the public, so the risk is low. If you volunteer you get your own cell with your own bed, shower and toilet, TV, and some access to the internet. Kay joyfully slumps into the chair. He rolls his head to the side. His mouth is completely wide open. Really? Are you just fooling me? Is this really happening? I feel like I won the lottery. Sign me up. The man says. Are you left or right-handed? Kay says. Right-handed, of course. It's ungodly to be left-handed. They call it right-handed for a reason. The man says. Don't get too excited. Central, release the right hand of the inmate. The right hand cuff clicks open. The man hands Kay a tablet and says, This contract is about 200 pages long. It's like signing up for something online. After you look over the contract you can sign it. The sign button will take you to the end where you can sign. Kay taps the button, signs with his finger, and hands the tablet back. A sky crane takes him on a four-hour flight to a new facility, his wrists and ankles bound in shackles connected by cables. It lowers the cab to a roof. A standalone ahead of him and a standalone behind escort him across the roof and down some stairs to an elevator. Every few minutes the robot in the back says, stay in line. Sudden movements will trigger a shock. The halls are narrower and marine blue instead of shiny off-white. Each door must be to a cell. How amazing to have privacy again. The robots stop when K gets nearest to door P93, so he does the same. An electric lock clanks and the door swings open. The robot says, enter your cell. Turn around just inside. K steps in and turns around. An inner door of bars slides closed. The robot says, put your arms through an opening. K does as instructed. The robot takes hold of Kay's wrist shackles, the shackles click open, and the robot places them in a compartment in its chest. It then bends down and retrieves the leg shackles. The robots walk away and the solid door closes. When Kay looks around at his little room, he feels a relief so intense, it feels like euphoria. Besides a bed and shower, he also has a little desk mounted on the wall, a chest, and a window that shows a view of some buildings and train tracks birds fly in the slate blue sky. All is quiet. A change of clothes and a foldable weight for him on the desk. He sits on his bed and in less than a minute he falls to the side and sleeps. A robot wakes him in the morning and brings him to a room containing a hospital bed. He lies down and is cuffed to the bed. At first, the cold makes him shiver but he grows numb to it and rests. With no clock, it's hard to tell how much time passes. One robot remains in a corner. Kay says, Robot, what time is it? The robot shows no sign of life. He may have dozed a little and blinks when the door opens. A femme and robot enter. The femme, tall and elegant could play the part of a love interest or a badass soldier or both, but right now, Wearing those goofy-looking AR glasses that all the non-inmates are wearing, she's playing the part of a sexy hospital nerd. At least she lets her curly locks hang free instead of pinning them in a bun. Kay feels aroused and wonders for the first time why exactly he was chosen to volunteer. This could be far, 
far better than expected. She steps to the side and her robot steps forward. She says, relax. This standalone is going to insert an IV catheter in your arm. Nothing to worry about. Robots are more accurate than peeps. Kate takes pride in demonstrating how unfazed he is by the injection. The robot steps out of the room and returns with a cart. It assembles a stand, hangs a feeder bag off it, and inserts a tube from the bag into Kay's catheter. Kay says, You work for the space folks? The femme nods briefly. Light leaks from her glasses and he can't tell if she can even see him though he can still see her eyes through her glass lenses. She says, I'll be back shortly. She and her robot leave. He suffers boredom for what must be hours and suddenly he startles to attention, but his body doesn't. He must have dozed off. When he would become fully alert, his brain only partly fires up. But he isn't asleep. His eyes are open. All he is is what he sees and hears. The femme and two other people stand at his bedside. The other's faces never come into focus. His crouch is wet and the air smells of urine. He tries to move to do something about that. His body won't respond, but he doesn't feel paralyzed. He may as well be outside his body. The femme applies something to his chest. She says, And when I was twelve, I chose a secret name for myself. A man standing behind her says, Dan doesn't fit you at all. Oblivion. An average of ten people move to space per day. When a body is still or in low gravity, we need to prevent atrophy, bone density loss, and blood clotting. We need to find new ways to rid bodies of toxins and keep fluids flowing. To take long trips in space, we need to develop techniques for putting people into states of hibernation. When bodies are kept still, bruising, tissue crushing, and skin ulcers need to be prevented. We need to lower energy and water consumption, so we want to lower metabolic rates as much as possible. Because we develop low temperature stasis on Earth, we must develop treatments for bedbound individuals as much as treatments for those living in low gravity. Space tech is advancing quickly, but adapting bodies to space is the biggest holdback. If a team of workers feels good about going into hibernation for a trip to Jupiter and they can return to Earth in good health, we'll have broken through the wall keeping us a mostly Earth-bound society. Advances in stasis techniques have immediate use for Earthers with limited mobility and those in need of emergency care. A soldier wounded in the field can be put into stasis to reduce blood loss as just one example. Kay wakes in an unfamiliar room, a prison cell with two small windows. The bed is on the floor. There's a toilet and sink, but no shower. The door bars provide a view of a hall. Why isn't he in the room they gave him yesterday? The folded clothes by the door must be for him. His brain comes out of sleep fog slowly and finds it hard to move. Every part of his body reacts with stiffness. His neck, arms, stomach, and even face refuse to move at first. He strains to sit, twists, and works his aching parts, trying to loosen up. A femme's voice says, How are you feeling, Kay? Kay doesn't even look around, knowing the voice is an AI. He says, I'm not awake yet. Why'd you change my room? The voice says, this is your room. You've been here for a week. He says, how long have I been out? The voice says, I don't have that information. 
a bot will bring you a late lunch. Kay laboriously stands and moves about the cell. By stretching, flexing, and twisting, he loses stiffness. His body feels smaller, yet his belly feels bigger than ever. When his hand touches his back, he finds wide knobs back there. They go through his skin but cause little discomfort. Spots, blemishes, and blue veins cover his arms, and the skin hangs a lot more. Kay says, Hello? Show me a mirror. The voice says, It may take some time to find you a mirror. One may not be available. I'll get back to you about that. Looking through the bars, he sees dozens of barred doors down the hall. Some noise reaches his ears but nothing discernible. He calls down the hall. Hello? He says, I want to talk to the femme from NASA. The voice says, Can you be more specific? He says, The one in charge of my volunteer program. The voice says, Your program was run by AI. Could you mean the people who started it? He says, Yes, the people who started it. The program was just started. Why are you being fake news? His heart rate increases and beats heavily. Becoming out of breath, he touches his head and his hair feels half gone from thinning. The voice says, You're at high risk of a heart attack. You need to calm yourself. Consider taking a seat and focusing on breathing. A robot steps in front of the barred door and slides a tray of food on the floor into the cell. But the robot can hardly be recognized as a robot. Humanoid overall, it's covered in segmented shells as fine as an insect's exoskeleton. The divisions between the segments are almost invisible. The shells are of a material that could be like glass or latex. Kay can't tell for sure. Kay cries out and stumbles back. The robot perfectly stands and walks away. Kay holds his chest and struggles to breathe. The voice says, Please sit on your bed. Your blood pressure is reaching a dangerous level. Kay says, What year is this? The voice says, The voice says, your sentence is up this evening at 8 p.m. In five hours you'll be processed out of the prison. Kay says, If it's 21-something as you say even though it isn't, did we win? Did the whites take control? Was there a civil war? I need to contact the Tucker group. The voice says, I don't have that information. There's no contact information for Tucker group. Is there someone specific you'd like to contact? Kay says, can I contact my sister, Beverly? The voice says, Your sister Beverly passed away 29 years ago. Kay says, So if I served my 80 years that would make me. That would make me. The voice says, You're 109 years old. Kay says, How long will I live? The voice says, You're not expected to live much longer. Kay hits himself. If he'd stayed in the auditorium and fought for release, would he be free now? Would he be awake in the 2040s fighting to start the Civil War? He sits down on the bed and says, What do I look like? His arms and head jump back when a 3D hologram of a very old man appears in the middle of the room. The voice says, This is what you look like. Do you want me to make it live? Kay says, That isn't me. You're fake news. This is all fake news. I have my whole life ahead of me. I'm part of Generation Revolution. We're going to overturn Satan's leftist woke politics. Jesus is coming back and the righteous will be transported to heaven and the rest will suffer in hell on earth. You're using the sorcery of science to force fake news on me. As he speaks, 
The extremely old-looking dude in the hologram moves as though breathing calmly and blinks his wrinkled eyes. Stay tuned for In 2127 to find out what happens to Kay after his release. And now a continuation of Penn's story from the previous episode. Penn lies as still as possible, hiding behind a desk. Well, partly hides behind, his legs still show. It finally registers what the tap, tap, tapping is. Drones are trying to fly through windows and they run into glass. The faint sound of buzzing changes pitch and grows louder. Penn's gut frosts over as the sound tells him one of the drones has flown into the office space through the window he opened. He wants to stop the world and take care of his wounds but the buzz of small propellers grows louder and louder. Any movement will make noise and it's likely the drone has supervision as far as using sound to sense the environment. The drone won't just hear a sound from its source but also see how a sound bounces off all objects in the area. If only he'd secured a hiding place before firing at the drones. Without moving his head he rolls his eyes up to look at the ceiling above the desk. His rifle is at his side. Moving it will create enough noise to light up sound vision for the drone, like spotlights in a field. Where the edge of the desk cuts off his view of the ceiling, the plastic outer bumper of the drone begins to show. Here goes nothing. He pulls his rifle up. The drone flies over the desk and above him. Pop! 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 Flashes of light, shards, smoke, and sparks erupt above him. A small piece of something hits his face, burning his skin. The buzzing jumps to a higher pitch, flies up, and ends with a loud crash. Penn waits. What else can he do? The tapping continues. He'll need to do something before he bleeds to death, so he taps his glasses to turn them on. He makes a call. Hazel? I'm hurt. Can you come get me? Hazel walks ahead as they leave the emergency wing. Penn limps wearing sweats and an older, non-solar coat. He says, You saved my life. Hazel says, Aren't you worried about the medical bill? He says, I've got three broken drones in an abandoned building that I can turn in for $500 each. She says, Will that be enough? He says, If not, I can always hunt more drones. She turns around and stops him. Pen, please don't go near those drones anymore. Please, he says. I understand them a lot better than I did before tonight. They're cheaply made, like dirt cheap. I was thinking about it while they were fixing my arm bone. I don't mean to brag but few know them like I do. And it won't be long before the army sends out drone hunting drones. So I've got to act fast. I thought of a way to hunt them without triggering an attack. She says. Oh, you make me scared. He says, come with me this time. Thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.